Hello and welcome back to A Functional Approach with Dr. Jim Chaltis. I'm Dr. Jim Chaltis and today I would like to discuss with you a few important concepts about exercise. You have certainly heard me mention it on many occasions um, rather flippantly like get in your exercise, it's good for you in more ways than one, etc, etc. I think it's things we all kind of know but what's the motivator? What What's going to actually get us to get out there and increase our exercise, not just frequency, but intensity, right? For me, as I have previously shared, it was getting that coronary artery calcium score back and, and showing me that I have a very mild amount of plaque development in one of my arteries, right? Luckily, at age 47, I, I was able to get a baseline for my cardiovascular fitness and in large part, things are very, very good, but boy, there was a couple things that could be uh, improved uh, better in the short term than waiting 20 or 25 years until I have developed a much more significant plaque burden. Um, and that's what did it for me, right? So just seeing that number, like, ah, oh, no, really, 41. Okay, well, I'm going to get that down to less than 10 or at least a zero. We'll see what happens. But that was my motivator. So I went out and I really increased my cardiovascular exercise routine and, uh, and started lifting weights for the first time in my life, at least consistently. Um, what's your driver? You know, I don't know. It, it's, it's, a, it's a personal decision. It's a personal quest. Um, everybody is sort of digging out of a, of a deep pit. If, if you've been used to kind of a more sedentary lifestyle, jumping right into a high intensity exercise routine is almost guaranteed to fail every time. So, you know, how deep your pit is compared to the next fella, you know, that matters and, and approaching it in ways that is you know, easily managed and, and carried out over time, right? Consistency, getting, easing in, you know, getting the ball rolling, that is doing something like for some people, literally just committing to a 20 minute walk five days a week. That's it. Like, you know, that that may or may not get their heart rates into these sweet little levels that we're going to talk about, but that's something. That's something more than sitting, right? Which we do a tremendous amount of in this country, in this culture of ours. Um, we, I certainly sit when I go home a lot of times. That, that couch feels lovely. Um, but a lot of us are at an office job. You know, we, we're sitting down most of our day, and then we go home and we sit down more, right? And that's that can be a problem over time, <laughs> to say the least. So the, the kind of my goal for today really is to talk about exercise and really just start pointing out, you know, the number of ways in which committing to some short burst, high intensity exercise can really, really change things metabolically and physiologically for you. Um, this can be something that is applicable simply as a preventative concept for, you know, wellness and longevity and, and just physical fitness and ability. We talked a little bit about balance and fall prevention with my rucking episode. If you haven't heard that, go back. It was a fun one. Um, you know, or it could be something like me, like, okay, I found out something early. It's not a, a major risk at this point in my life, but I don't like the momentum. So I'm going to preventatively do some things in my life that's going to change that, right? That's that's another phase, perhaps. That's that's a little worse than somebody who's just perfectly awesome in like 20 and 
doesn't want to be sick when they're 40 or 50 or 60. Um, so, but still preventative. Now, you might have full-blown cardiovascular disease or hypertension or, you know, you could have another type of disease, autoimmune disease perhaps, um, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, you know, all of these things um, will benefit from an exercise routine as part of a larger picture of, of wellness therapy, right? How do we switch on the body? What does it take to get the body moving? You know, it's oftentimes, I, I, I will mention, I will mention it over and over again, that it comes down to the status of the mitochondria. Right? The mitochondria is a little, we have to take you back to like high school or early college biology now. Um, of the mitochondria is a little organelle, basically an organ for a cell. Every cell has a mitochondria, has lots of mitochondria. These are the energy these are the powerhouses of the cell, right? This is what takes things like glucose, blood sugar, and it turns it into ATP, which is our, our primary active fuel source inside the cell. We need to make ATP. And if the mitochondria does not have what it needs, like for example, if you aren't getting inadequate glucose into your system um, as a hypoglycemic, or if you're a diabetic that's not managed well, or an insulin resistant person, and you just can't get the glucose from the blood into the cell, then you don't have what the mitochondria needs. And so it falters and the cell fails and it, you know you feel, you feel symptoms or you feel tired, right? Um, or if it doesn't get enough oxygen, that's another one, right? If you have anemia um, or if you have a pulmonary issue with your lungs perhaps, and you're just not oxygenating the system well, um, and, and even if you have peripheral vascular disease, you know, um, you could be choking off blood flow to areas of the brain, for example. And so regionally, those nerves, those brain cell um, neurons aren't getting what they need because the circulation isn't there. And so they falter and they, they, they perish, you know, sooner than they should. We're talking things like vascular dementia, right? We don't want this. We do not want this. Um, so those are some concepts. Now, there's other things too that, that can lead to faltering mitochondria that you could be exposed to any number of chemical toxic burdens out there. You know, if, if your body's loaded with toxins um, that you can't eliminate correctly. Uh, also revisit the, the podcast I did on, on detoxification. There's some interesting information there, but it's easy to become overburdened without knowing it. Our, our, the world in which we live is an increasingly toxic environment. I say that sort of dramatically, but not really. I mean, there's there's so many novel chemicals coming out every day, and they don't have proper safety tests. And we are getting exposed to an increasing number of compounds, um, quite literally, on a daily basis. So those types of things can get into the cell; they can hinder the mitochondria. But in in this case, the cell only makes enough energy for what it absolutely requires. Right? And so if you are a sedentary person, the ATP requirement goes down. And so, so do the mitochondria. You get fewer and fewer mitochondria per cell if you live a sedentary lifestyle. Now, the only way to increase mitochondria is to activate the cell. So if we're talking about a muscle cell, then you work out and you make those cells hungry. They're going to want more glucose. They're going to be, you know, firing up the cell activity because they have everything they need and there's millions of them and you're going to get tons of ATP so you have a lot more energy to expend 
right? And that's going to spill over to other areas of your body. It's going to, you know, going to start activating your brain more. You're going to get more mitochondria in your brain cells. Your liver is going to switch on. So exercise really improves circulation and, and activation of, of these cells and these tissues and therefore organs, right? Glands, organs, all of that across the board tends to go up um, when somebody engages in this kind of, you know, active lifestyle. So when exercising, you know, you really want to kind of start to think about intensity, right? Please don't go from zero to a hundred. You will, like I said, you will fail, that you will harm yourself in a lot of cases. You must start off gentle and that can be tough for somebody who is freshly motivated and realizing that they have a deep hole to climb out of and they just go for it whole hog. They get a trainer and they're just crushing it and then they can't move and um, that will stop them every time. So start light depending on where you're at. You know, I came into this kind of exercise push from a pretty physically um, capable place. You know, I could put on 35 pounds on my back and hike in the mountains at altitude for two hours, right? Not everybody can do that. And so even for me, when I changed my exercise routine and I started doing spin on the, on the exercise bike, I really didn't push it for longer than like 20 minutes at first. You know, at 20 minutes, I was, I was pooped. It's a different kind of exercise for me, but hey, I could do it. My heart rate was fine. I could do that part, but I, I didn't want to overdo my muscles because if you overtrain, you can overinflame, and then you're shooting yourself in the foot so to speak so gentle <laughs> gentle i have to remind myself of this i i'm known to jump into things and i i speak from experience when i i say please go gentle so when things like measuring level of intensity um a lot of times if you're at a gym and you're using a machine, they have little sensors. You can check your heart rate right there on the spot in real time. Um, so you can get heart rate monitors for your chest or in a watch form. Apple watches will do it now, I believe. Um, we have a lot of tech to support our efforts in this area in this day and age. So, you know, find something that works. Honestly, I, I'm less techie. Um, the fact that I have a podcast is astonishing to me. Um, but when it comes to my heart rate, I, I just go old school. I, I count my heartbeats for 30 seconds, multiply by two, and there's my beats per minute, right? And uh, that's a pretty accurate way to do it. Uh, if you're in a rush, you can do it 15 seconds, multiply by four, and, um, and kind of get the feel. So now that I've done it a million times, I kind of just feel my pulse and know like, yep, I'm, I'm up there. I'm up there in my target range. I'm feeling good. Um, so take your pick but it can be very helpful to get some of this kind of data, at least in the beginning. So when, when calculating your heart rate, you know, and really looking at light, moderate, or high intensity, um, you want to start with a basic calculation. There, there are more complex ways of doing this, but I don't recommend them. This is a much easier way. So your maximum heart rate, the, the, the heart rate that you don't really want to exceed, that if you exceed, you're not really doing yourself any benefits and you could be giving yourself certain levels of harm if, if it's sustained for long periods. But the maximum heart rate calculation is 220, 220 minus your age in years, right? So I am turning 48 uh, in 
a week. And so we'll just call mine 48. Um, my maximum heart rate is therefore 172. So I don't really want to increase my rate much higher than 172 um, for any given amount of time. So when you're getting started and you want to just kind of get your heart rate up a little bit more than you might otherwise, um, light exercise, light you know, heart rate would be something around the ranges of 40 to 55% of your maximum heart rate. So for mine, that would be between 60 to 95. Now, most people don't even have a 60 beats per minute sitting around on the couch. You know, an average heart rate is high 70s, even 80s, which is not ideal. You kind of want a nice low resting heart rate. With all of my cardiovascular work, I've been getting my heart rate down to a resting level of like 100, and, I'm sorry, of like 62, 63. Um, and that's like just a, a nice comfortable resting rate for me. So if I'm doing light intensity workouts, I still probably won't remain in the 60s, but this will let you get up to you know 95 if you're my age and in good health. That's the other thing. Maximum heart rate is 220 minus your age in years. But if you also have a known medical condition, then you might want to kind of back that down a little bit. You don't want to overtrain. So that might be between you and a trainer or you and a doctor or somebody like that. But but light intensity, somewhere between 40 to 55% of your maximum heart rate. This should not really make you sweat a whole lot if you're out there, um, unless it's exceedingly hot. If you live in Phoenix or if you live in Louisiana and it's hot and humid, of course, you'll be sweating. But really, you know, if it's just a moderate temperature day, you shouldn't really be breaking out in a sweat at this level. Think of a nice walk. Um, you shouldn't have a noticeable change in your breathing. If you do, if your breathing starts to, to increase and you become more labored, well, then you're into the moderate or even high level. So what's a moderate? The moderate level of intensity would be somewhere between 55%, which is the high end of the light one, right? And 69% of your maximum heart rate. For me, that would be somewhere between 95 to like 119 beats per minute. And um, I feel that. I definitely feel that. That's That for me is a light kind of a, when I'm warming up on my spin bike and I, I'm not yet into my official workout. It's just getting my muscles going. I like to do that for about five minutes. I put it on a, on a lighter intensity um, resistance and I just kind of spin it out for a good five minutes, get my muscles warm, get my blood flowing. And I usually am somewhere in this type of a, of a range in my, my warm up. Okay. You might start sweating over time. This might be individualistic, but you know, um, one person, may not sweat, but you can expect to get some sweat if you do this for longer than 10 or 15 minutes. Um, this, you will notice a slight change in your breathing, um, you know, deeper, more frequent, of course. Um, and you can definitely carry on a conversation. So that's sort of like a quick field test. How do I know if I'm in these areas and I don't have the time or the ability to check my heart rate? Well, if you are talking with your friend, hoofing it up a hill, right, on a nice walk, you're recognizing that your heart rate's going up and you're breathing harder. If you can still carry on a decent conversation, then you're probably in that moderate heart rate range. Um, but you might not be that eloquent at singing, for example, right? It's a little labored, but you can totally have this conversation with your friend. Um, now, high intensity, 70% of your maximum heart rate or greater, right? Ideally, not up to 100% or, or 101% in that case, but 
Um, for me, 70% is 120 beats per minute or greater. So I can share with you that when I'm really in the middle of my cardiovascular workout, I'm somewhere in the range of like 150 to 160. And that's when I'm really sweating hard. Um, I am starting to actively soak my t-shirt and um, I am breathing very hard and I wouldn't really prefer to talk to anybody at this point. I can say short words, sentences, uh, but you know, I had somebody who recognized me in the gym and she came up and talked to me, one of my neighbors. And um, yeah, I was having a hard time carrying on the conversation because it, it uh, you know, was the middle of my maximum heart rate, <laughs> my high intensity heart rate experience. So um, that's sort of, the, that's sort of the, the breakdown. You know, if you have the ability to check, this is what you can do. Um, warm up in a light. And if that's where you're at, if that's where your health is at, then just stay light. Do that for a few weeks. You'll notice that over a few weeks of, let's just say, four days a week of this, uh, you're going to start to increase your ability very, very quickly in most cases. So that's the idea. You want to get into those higher ranges. The literature is very, very clear. All of the benefits, which I'm about to describe to you, um, happen much more intensely at those higher uh, levels of intensity. There's magic that happens after you reach the moderate to high level, okay? It's not that the, the light intensity doesn't provide any benefit, especially if you're starting from zero. It will. It'll, all of it provides benefit. You will activate mitochondria. You will activate a lot of chain of events just from making the decision to get off of the couch and walk for 15 minutes, especially if there's a, a short hill around. Um, Sometimes walking our dogs is not ideal because they take too many pee breaks, at least mine does, and he loves to smell the bushes. So I don't get any kind of exercise when I'm with him, but maybe that's enough for you to start. So um, having said that, let me get into some of the, you know, the benefits of a high-intensity exercise experience. And again, this, is, this blows the doors off of the other two. All right? There's something that happens between mo moderate to high level. All right, so one of the concepts, purely cardiac. So you are going to start to strengthen your heart muscle, right? And you're going to start increasing the contractile strength and, and literally just the, um, improve the fatigability of the heart. You know, the heart, of course, never stops, but at the same time, it's not always used to working at high levels. So you're going to build up that capacity, right? And you're going to make a heart contraction much stronger. So for every beat you get, more blood is flowing through your system, right? And therefore, over time, you don't have to beat as many times. So my lower resting heart rate, I probably brought my resting heart rate down 10 beats per minute in like a two month period, right? I was probably hovering in like the low 70s, if I recall, now let's just say six months ago. And then you know, I've been checking it kind of regular and it's I'm in the low 60s now regularly. So um, I have dramatically improved the, the fitness of my heart muscle, right? The cardiac tissue. Very, very important. Things like heart failure as we age um, is a very realistic thing that can lead to you know, all types of morbidity and, and even death. Um, it, it pushes the dominoes, so to speak, on things that stop you from moving your body, which is the only way out, right? So you end up on a whole handbag of medications, and that's not ideal. We want to start into it with a, with a strong heart, right? 
heart failure is not heart attack. It's not like a, a blood clot that forms and starves the heart of oxygen. It's literally a weakening of the muscle. So every time it beats, oh, the umph is just not there. And, and you just can't get the blood from your feet back up to your heart, right? It's hard to pump it north. <clears throat> so, pardon me. So we want to have a nice strong heart muscle. Of course, the higher intensity of the exercise over time, the better. Um, you're also going to minimize stress responses in the body. If you think about it, exercise is, is a stressful event, right? It's kind of a high, especially high intensity exercise. It's not sustainable. It, it, it is a stressful event, but it's stress for a purpose. It's moderate levels of stress that your body can then react to. Just like I talked about with cold immersion, like, like cryo and sauna, like heat, heat exposure. These are stressful events that our body rebounds from in a positive net way, right? We get net benefit out of it. That's hormesis. Doing something that's stressful to get a better good. Exercise does that. So when your body does now receive other types of stress on the system, um, you don't have that same kind of response. Your body's kind of used to dealing with stress physiology in a healthy way. So it, it's prepared itself. I find that fascinating and, and rather, you know, kind of obvious in a lot of ways. Um, you know, if you're all anxious and you have a lot of stress physiology, go out and move your body and you almost always feel better. You just spent stress hormones doing this kind of mildly stressful experience. You burned off your excess catecholamines, which are stress hormones and um, usually you feel better. Okay, so things like neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, you know, there's others, there's acetylcholine, there's GABA, you know, there's, all, there's a handful of them. They all get better. But things like serotonin and dopamine um, are, are kind of our happy chemicals. I spoke about them in my last episode on disappointment. Um, you know, serotonin, serotonin can just improve your mood in general. Dopamine improves motivation, kind of that pleasure reward. I'm excited about things. I'm driven for that. It can help you focus on that, that task at hand. Like I used the example of the gazelle. If you're a hunter-gatherer, you see that gazelle. You know there's a saber-toothed tiger around, but you're focused and you're motivated and you're going to feed your tribe, right? That's the goal. That's dopamine. Um, think about that as a normal thing. Do we? I need to... This week, I needed to fix two sinks in my family's house. They were clogged just from time. And um, the caster on this ancient screen door that just always seems to kind of like break. <laughs> so I had these like list of things. I didn't want to do them. I, it, honestly, it took me like two weeks to even get to them. But all at once, I'm like, boom, I'm doing it. And that was like, you know, focus and motivation. And, you know, it was a fascinating thing for me. And then you, you get things out of it. So if you don't have these going on in your in your life, in your physiology, I could have easily kicked the can way further down the road on these things, right? My household, my family would have been suffering because of my lack of interest or motivation to do that, right? So it's important. That's a small thing. What about work, right? What about just getting your butt up to exercise to get the ball rolling? Like, you know, we don't want to get too deep into a hole where we can't see the benefit. Um, you know, the list goes on. You know, I think that those are all self-evident. So this stimulant exercise, right, it, it releases things in our, in our brain. You know, it releases these um, brain-derived neurotropic factor, for example, which is uh, BDNF. It's a fascinating topic. I will talk about it. Um, 
it's essential for how our, our brain cells communicate with each other and our ability to maintain healthy neurons and healthy brain function and you know stimulating things like neurotransmitters so exercise really dramatically improves the status of, of BDNF it also just delivers a ton more blood flow so if the neurons are getting everything they need oxygen glucose you know and your and the blood flow is taking away all the nasty stuff that the, all the waste products appropriately then those nerves fire better you're going to have natural serotonin and dopamine production and you're going to have better reception of those neurotransmitters on the on the next guy over right remember it's a signal and then it's the reception of the signal all that needs to happen exercise just turns that up so if you're anxious if you're depressed um, then you exercise there is no comparing exercise especially high intensity um, with things like SSRI medications. I mean, exercise blows the doors off of them in the research. Um, there might be a need for both temporarily, but you will get a lot farther and a lot healthier in a lot of different ways with the exercise routine. And that's not just my opinion. Okay, another thing, um, insulin and blood sugar will dramatically improve, dramatically improve. Um, in two months, I was able to improve my HOMA score. Um, this is an insulin resistance score that um, I, as healthy as I was, that I thought I was ahead of time, um, my HOMA score was just dipping into the insulin resistance um, category. I had a score of 2.6. You don't want it above 2. If it gets into the 3s and 4s and higher, then yeah, you got big, big problems. But a 2.6, I didn't like seeing that. That was embarrassing to me. And, um, you know, I'm embarrassed to share it. But hey, we, like I said before, we're all in this together. And um, the good news is in two months of high intensity exercise, I got that down to a 1.0. And so a HOMA score of a 1.0 or less is like super awesome insulin sensitive guy. Right, so I'm the exact opposite of an of a insulin resistant person. I did that in two months, right? And it was primarily due to the exercise. So the way that works is your muscles are working, they're demanding more glucose, they make more insulin receptors to recognize the hormone insulin and, and allow glucose to come into the, to the system. They're also burning through their stored reserves a lot more frequently, so they just become hungrier. They want the glucose. They're making more mitochondria, which want, want more glucose. Um, and they actually turn up little proteins that are um, essential for sensitizing and opening up those channels so glucose can come in. So, you know, the end result is you're going to have more energy. Yes, you just busted your butt and worked out. And you might feel a little tired for that day or for the, you know, for the couple hours as you're recovering from that high intensity experience. But over time, you're going to look back and you'll be like, dang it, I got more energy. I just feel better. You might feel more clear in your mind. Um, but you're going to also see things like your cholesterols and you know, your triglyceride levels, all your lipids are going to improve. And that goes for the amount of cholesterol in the, in the particle and also the number of particles, right? Go back and revisit the uh, cholesterol episodes if you haven't listened. Um, very important concepts, but all of those are going to improve, and so will blood pressure. Blood pressure will also improve. Hypertension, blood pressure elevation, is the leading cause of cardiovascular disease, right? Um, we need to, and it's an epidemic. It's an absolute epidemic. We, we need to do things to help improve the health of our blood vessels, because if they're sick, 
then we lose control of the ability to, to control pressure and and we end up with hypertension and then something like six out of the 10 most prescribed medications it's somewhere along the line four to six i forget i had a list i saw they're all blood pressure medications the other ones are things like blood sugar medications <laughs> right and cholesterol medications exercise addresses each one of those right polypharmacy the the increasing numbers of medications that a person is on becomes a leading cause of death in people over 65. it's literally something like third or fourth in line behind cardiovascular disease cancer and accidents i think um, polypharmacy is a leading cause of death of the elderly population what can we do to not have polypharmacy in our life right Polypharmacy, I believe, is anything more than like three medications. And if you have hypertension, you probably have high cholesterol, and you probably have blood sugar issues, so you're probably on the whole flight. So you're right there, there's like six or seven medications. That's going to come with a lot of side effects. Right? So we got to do what we can. Exercise. Okay. It's going to also um, increase opioid responses. So opioids, not opium, not heroin, but we have natural, what we call endogenous um, opium, basically opiates in our system that are very, very healthy for us. So, you know, we want to do what we can to kind of naturally um, release that and improve the signaling of that. So that's going to take down pain. Like I mentioned things like fibromyalgia, right? Chronic pain systemically. Um, it could just be joint pain. It could be headaches. If you have a healthier natural opioid response, then you're going to have less pain in general. Uh, it's going to improve your mood. <laughs> you might be a little grouchy and feeling a little under rewarded in your day. Well, opium is a pretty rewarding concept. And if it's done this way, you don't get addicted to it. Now, a small caveat to that concept is if you are uh, a very, very aggressive endurance athlete, um, arguably you could have addictions. I, I, I it's hard to say that goes on an individual level, but I do believe there are athletes out there that that use exercise as a form of addiction um, and that may or may not be harmful to them. If it was a choice between methamphetamine and exercise addiction, I would pick the exercise any day. Right. So I'm not here to to poo poo that. It's just that, yes, there is a limit where the opium thing can be a problem, but um, for the most part, they're very, very fantastic. They, the last thing they do is they activate things called regulatory T-cells. That helps us with all immune function, right? What did we do during COVID? We were told to stay in our homes and not go outside. What did that do to our exercise routine? What did that do to our uh, immune resilience? Okay, these are all rhetorical questions, but there are there's answers to them in the medical literature, okay? Um, we we kind of got it wrong on, on that one. So activate your T-Rex. That's going to help you with combating just incidental infections that come in, novel viruses perhaps, but also protects you against autoimmunity, right? And I would even go so far as to say protects you against the development of cancer. Sometimes cancer is just too strong and genetically primed, but if you are approaching a cancer cell, when we all have them right now floating through our bodies, we have them, and our immune system marks them and kills them, and they never turn into the disease we call cancer. Uh, if you have healthy regulatory T-cell function, 
you have a much better chance of recognizing that cell, taking care of it right now, and, and never having the problem. Okay. Almost done. In talking about things like blood vessel health and brain health and oxidative, you know, inflammatory reactions, there's a, a class of compounds or actually enzymes called NOS enzymes, nitric oxide synthase. I've mentioned them a little bit before. ENOS stands for endothelial. That's your blood vessels. That's your circulatory system. So exercise dramatically turns up ENOS. And what that does is it increases blood flow, right? It lowers blood pressure. The circulatory system just optimizes. Uh, it increases things like recovery. So you have a nice big fat workout. You're, you inflame some tissues. Those muscles need blood flow to heal and to recover, to be stronger. It does all that. It increases brain function because you're opening up circulation to the brain. Right? Very, very important one. It also can dissolve arterial placking. One of the reasons why exercise is so important for healing, you know, plaque in our arteries. I'm going to see what happens after 12 months. My job right now is erase that tiny little bit of plaque I found. Okay, NNOS, neuronal. That's neurons. That's your brain function. That's your your brain cells, your, your other nerve cells. NNOS is essential for, for optimal brain and nerve function, and it protects us against neurodegeneration. Right? We, none of us want to get old and have dementia or Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's or Lewy body's dementia or, you know, there's a whole host of them. Um, go in your sauna, do your cold plunges, get high intensity exercise. You are going to improve all of your NOS enzyme activity. Um, now, high intensity exercise can also increase INOS, inflammatory destructive. That does so in some degrees, but the idea is that hormesis effect. Yes, I'm going to invite a small amount of, of trauma into my life because it's manageable and I have all of the things I need to heal up from that and it's going to be a net benefit. So um, you just need to watch out for that one because if you're overtrained, then INOS can be too aggressive and then you can not recover. Okay, and then finally, you've probably heard of growth hormone. It, it's a primary concept of what um, keeps us vital and alive. It's really active in our younger years as our bodies are growing. Um, we, we need growth hormone, but it kind of as, um, as stable adults, not like pubescent teenagers, perhaps, um, growth hormone is essential for, you know, reducing things like body fat, right? That's a vicious feed forward cycle um, that if, if let go can really hinder you in this whole process. So we want to do things that help us reduce body fat. Um, growth hormone can do that. Simply just cycling through the calories of the, of the workout can also help with that, of course. Um, improving the gluten, sorry, the, I got gluten on the brain. Improving the glucose, the blood sugar responses, and the insulin surges from exercise absolutely helps with body fat. So not just growth hormone, but lots of things. Um, but this also helps with recovery time. You know, do you do an exercise and have to sit on the couch for four days to recover? Or are you ready to go the next day for another round of goodness, right? Ideally, it's the latter. Uh, it is going to increase what we call anabolic hormones. So anabolic kind of means building. Catabolic means destruction. We need both. We need a balance. Think yin and yang, right? But Anabolic hormones are those things that are going to help us kind of rebuild tissue and repair tissue, right? That's an important concept. Uh, it's going to improve muscle mass. 
sarcopenia, the loss of muscle, is one of the predictive factors of early demise, early death, and infirm infirmity. Infirm is that the right word? <laughs> How infirm we are, right? Or let's just say something bad happens, like you do get a cancer, or you have a massive bone break and you're hospitalized, or you know, a car accident or something like that. Those people that are, have lost their muscle mass have a, a much worse prognosis. So we want to do what we can to keep our muscle tissue um, dense. You don't need to be a big old muscle guy uh, or muscle gal, but just so that you don't have weak, flabby muscles. Right? It's easy to get if we're not careful. You can be thin at appearance, but have a lot of you know, um, fat infiltrations into the muscle tissue. It's not dense muscle fiber. Right? It's not the metabolically active kind that, that helps us. So it, it really helps improve the quality of our muscle, which, which equates to a longer, healthier life. Um, and then lastly, it improves bone density. Again, getting back to the rucking um, episode on, you know, for fall prevention, osteoporosis isn't really a problem until you fall, right? Um, very rarely does a person just like, you know, walk down the street and break their leg. If something happens, they lose their ability. Usually their muscle mass is gone and, or, or they're quite heavy and they just are, you know, they're not stable on their feet, but, or they have an injury, but a lot of times they're, they're thin, they're frail. They, they hit something that they didn't mean to step on and then they, they fall and then they have no density in their bone and they, they break. And that can be the end. That can be the absolute end. So, um, heaven forbid you fall, it's going to happen, right? It will happen. So what can you do to increase bone density? Well, absolutely weight-bearing exercise, absolutely. Sometimes just walking, if you want to put a little weight on, that makes it better. If you want to go to the gym and um, lift a little bit of weights, right, then your muscles and your bones are going to respond positively to that. So um, really important concept is to keep our bone density high because you don't want to push the dominoes after a, a fall. Very, very important concept. And I think that's it. I think that covered enough. If, if those of you who are still with me at this point <laughs> um, have stuck with me for 38 minutes, I do appreciate that. Um, I can't speak enough about it, right? It's something we hear all the time. We all know it. We all know what we're supposed to do. But how many of us do it? And the question is, is have you had the right stimulus yet in your life to do it, to make that choice. I didn't have enough time to go to the gym. That's what I told myself for years. If I don't, if I'm at the gym, then I'm not at my office and I'm not working and making money for my family. And if I'm at the gym, I'm not at home helping with the family, cooking dinner, doing dishes, helping with the children, right? Now I have the fortune of my children being teenagers now. They don't need me as much, <clears throat> but so I understand if you have a toddler, it's difficult, but there's always time. You could hold your toddler as a 15-pound weight and do squats, if that's safe for you and your toddler, <laughs> or whatever, 25 pounds, whatever the kid weighs. You could do it in your house. You could put them in the chair, and you could do some push-ups, right? It's not hard. Just start. Okay. I do hope that lands well with you. Um, go out. Get hot in a sauna. Get cold in a cold plunge, and uh, move your body. Absolutely move your body. Thank you so much for your time and attention. My name is Dr. Jim Chalpis, and this is a functional approach. Bye-bye.